Alright everyone, my name is Maddie B, and today we will be talking about the origins of Christmas. Um, as I promised last week, since I went over Krampus, I would be going over the origins of Christmas. Um, as always, any sources that I use that I don't mention specifically in this episode will be listed in the show notes down below, and there's likely going to be a question. So, if you want to answer that, go ahead and do that. That would be very much appreciated. So, let's get into it. Christmas before Christ. Uh, Christmas came long before the supposed birth of Christ, all the way back to the Norse and Celtic peoples. Um, According to a YouTube video done by Wisdomland, Christmas before Christ was known as Yule in these areas, which is why when you listen to Christmas songs, you'll occasionally come across the word Yule, um, Yuletide, you know, Yuletide blessings, Yuletide cheer, whatever. So Yule was on the night of December 21st, as it was the winter solstice, and that was said to be like the when the veil uh, is thinnest and, you know, it's the darkest night of the year, and so on and so forth. So, um... And fathers and sons of the villages were reported to have gone out into the woods and find the biggest log they could find to light it on fire. <laughs> so, quote, from this video, it says, quote, each spark was said to represent a pig or calf that would be born in the spring, end quote. The log wasn't the only thing that was brought in um, either because also the log also provided light um, when you know, again, darkest time of the year, they need light. But it wasn't the only thing. Uh, Evergreens were also said to be hopeful um, and that they would survive the Norse winter because that was like the only plant that would survive the Norse winter. And so evergreens were brought in as like a hope, as a, you know, symbol. And so... Um, the log would continue to burn for around 12 days, and so that's why we have the 12 days of Christmas. And so, those were the days where the Norse villagers would celebrate. And by celebrate, I mean they went bonkers. They went cra- They went nuts. This was the only time of the year that meat was bountiful, as it was the night before that the animals would be slaughtered for the winter. So, there was plenty of meat. Uh, it was said that as long as you stayed inside, you were safe from the demons that were powerful during this time of year. Um, as I mentioned before, because of the veil thinning and so on and so forth, which is why Krampus exists, why like a bunch of other like demon gremlin, you know, people exist um, during this time of year and during these mythologies. So Odin, their father god, the god of war and death, was also believed to have flown around at night during the celebration in a sled, um, deciding who is good and who is bad. Odin was also uh, ah, properly popularly drawn and depicted as a very tall man with a very long white beard. I wonder who that could be. So, over in Rome, however, during around the same time, before the conversion, they had their celebrations a week before the winter solstice, and that would be to celebrate what what they referred to as Saturnalia, um, which is the Roman version of of Zeus, 
um, which was known as Saturn. So it was a celebration of Zeus uh, for a whole month, right? So they would, it would start the week before the winter solstice and it would go on for an entire month. And they turned, they basically turned um, social order upside down, according to the YouTube video I watched, as well as a few others that are in my sources, they quote it as saying, like, the slaves turned to the masters and the masters turned into the slaves, right? Like, a parent's social order was upside down at the time. Um, so, among the upper social classes, however, and also they would get, like, trashed, right? Trashed. Romans loved getting trashed, but... The upper classes, however, they celebrated the birth of the sun god Mithra that, quote, it was also understood that to be the birthday of the sun god Mithra, and Mithra was said to be born from a rock. Shepherds came to worship him um, as he was an infant god born out of out in the pastoral place in the fields, and may many of these stories, of course, have come to be Christian tradition, end quote. So, you know, Mithra was this super powerful being, god of the sun, and it was also believed that, like, the upper classes refused to get drunk because they were very, like, they were very worship- worshipful. Worshipy. My goodness, I cannot talk. I feel like I say that every episode, but I cannot talk. It's the end of the week, guys. So, yeah, so basically, one half of society goes crazy during this time of year. The other half uh, stays inside and prays, right? So, um, let me turn the page here. Mm, my goodness, I have so many pages today that it's difficult. Okay, so, um... Around this time, a new religion was forming, which was Christianity. Before the 4th century, Jesus' birthday wasn't even celebrated. Like, they had no idea when his birthday was. So, um, in fact, it was only his, like, rebirth that was celebrated in April, aka Easter. In fact, up until this point in history, Christians found it difficult to understand if Jesus was a real person. Like, was he a real person or was he god incarnate or was he like some spirit right so it was very difficult for them to even pinpoint if he was a real person um and therefore could he have been born quote unquote um based on context clues in the bibles however um it is believed that his birthday would have been sometime in the spring not the winter because of like it mentioned like based off of like shepherds um you know, coming out at night, like, that wouldn't be a thing in the winter, uh, it was also, like, the three wise men, like, their whole travel patterns as well, like, it it was a lot, I personally am not religious, so I didn't really go that far into it, but, um, regardless, that's what happened, so, but since pagan Rome was currently celebrating Mithra, it seemed only natural to celebrate Jesus as well, right, So, um, they took that and they were like, hey, maybe you should, I don't know, celebrate with us. 
So, uh, but before the conversion, according to a uh, documentary done by Real Stories, as well as an article done by Life Science, the Romans actually behaved so badly, overeating, overdrinking, and practically the whole part of the world erupted in chaos, that the Puritans decided to ban Christmas. Like, they straight up just did not they banned Saturnalia. So, uh, as there was nothing in the Bible that, uh, celebrated the nativity, or as I mentioned earlier, there wasn't an exact date for Jesus's birthday, but it was quite literally impossible for them to stop the Roman partying. And so they just decided to compromise and say like, oh, this is Jesus's birthday too. And so knowing that like the church couldn't outlaw the pagan religions, uh, it began to take over their traditions and steal, practically steal them uh, in an attempt to convert the native peoples to their religion. And based on how popular Christmas is today, it is safe to say they succeeded. And with that, I'm going to go into like Christmas trees, candy canes, uh, Christmas cards, and what's the other thing? Mistletoe. I'm going to go into those four other things. So that's basically what Christmas was like before Christ. Alright, so where exactly do Christmas trees come from, right? Like, I talked about the evergreens, but that's like a bush. Like, where do Christmas trees come from? So, and why the Christmas lights, right? So according to reporting done by Time Magazine, it states that there were many myths surrounding why these trees became so popular in the 15th and 16th century, why pine trees became so popular in the 15th and 16th centuries. There were church records that dated as far back in time as um, in that time, like during the 15th and 16th centuries that stated that holly and and ivy were brought in during the winter hence the carol the holly and the ivy right um there's also another legend that martin luther not martin luther king jr uh had believed that pine trees were representative of the goodness of God, and yet another myth that took place in the 8th century was the myth of Saint Boniface. Saint Boniface was believed to have stopped a pagan sacrifice, like it was like a quote-unquote human um, sacrifice, I I doubt it, Um, by cutting down the tree. the sacrifice was going to take under take place under and in turn the a fern grew in place of the dead tree uh but on to the real origin of the christmas tree right uh it is said that it was originated in what is now known as germany in 1419 you might realize that we at least america takes a lot of things from germany uh in in regard to this um to this Oh my goodness, I forgot the word, holiday, holiday, oh my god. Uh, In regards to this holiday, the people would put what were called paradise plays, um, and they, like, those plays told the story of Adam and Eve, um, and in turn, the trees were decorated with apples, wafers, straw, and nuts, pretzels, like, all that good stuff, you know, all the snacks. The first recorded indoor Christmas tree, however, was all the way back in 1605, and it was decorated with roses, apples, and sweets. So, 
you know. But the idea of a Christmas tree with lights and presents underneath didn't have an ancient origin like this one. In fact, it didn't even become a thing until Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, again, a German prince, you'll you'll notice, uh, had their uh, portrait taken of them in front of their Christmas tree with their pre- presents and the children were eagerly awaiting um awaiting their presents, right? So the Christmas trees started becoming popular in the U.S. back in the 18th and 19th centuries as German immigrants started coming over and bringing their traditions with them. But the idea of huge Christmas trees in public places, like uh, I believe the one in New York is Central Park, I want to say some, you know, like those those big trees that we see like everywhere. And, um, you know, the just like they're practically in every town in the u.s like any city has one all right so um the first uh, it's it seems that like this was like a purely american thing um so and it dates all the way back to the late 19th century as the first ever quote-unquote national christmas tree in the white house was a stunt to show off like the wonders of electricity it was like boom like three two one lights on and then erupts in all these nice colors right so speaking of the lights where did they come from um what was their origin surely the first ever light bulbs weren't safe they weren't safe um, to put in a very flammable tree, right? So where did they come from? Well, Jamie Malinowski from um, the Smithsonian Magazine reports that the first ever Christmas lights were actually candles all the way up until 1882. Um, So very, very dangerous. A man named... Hold on, turning the page here. A man named Edward... uh, Hibbered Johnson, sorry for screwing up your name, Johnson, realized that the fire hazard, uh, realized what a fire hazard this was, and quickly set a course to work on how to contain fire in a glass bulb. Hiring Thomas Edison in 1871, who was at the time merely 24 years old, the young man found a solution to the problem within six weeks of working for Johnson. In 1880, Edison had patented patented the light bulb and Johnson got the bright idea that since Christmas trees were becoming such a huge success already they should as like they should just make some lights for them instead of candles the original Christmas lights were white red and blue and uh, and he drew people into his shop as long as they were uh, as long as he had those lights up like it was very like ooh la la like oh my goodness uh, W.A. Crawford, uh, a veteran writer from the Detroit Post and Tribune, was quoted as saying, quote, It was brilliant, brilliantly lighted with 80 lights in, an in, in, in all encased in these dainty glass eggs and about equally divided between red, white, and blue. One can hardly imagine anything prettier, end quote. As electricity wasn't as easily accessible as it is today, a string of 16 light bulbs was about $12 in 1900. And according to the Smithsonian Magazine, that $12 in today's money would have been around $350 today. That's insane. Now, 
Speaking of colors and Christmas, uh, what about St. Nick? Why was he in red and white? What about Santa? Where did he come from? All right, so what about old St. Nick? Why the red and white? Where did he come from? So in a Real Stories documentary, documentary, it is explained <coughs> that Santa Claus, while he exists in most places today, looks different based on which culture you're visiting, right? So there is, however, some debate on where such a man came from. Um, the documentary mentions that a legend of the legend of Santa Claus formed in the exact opposite of the North Pole, and actually the legend began in southwestern Turkey during the third century. Saint Nicholas had been born, but to this day there is very little evidence of his existence. There is still evidence, but it is very little. Um, we don't know like for certain if he did all the things that he was proclaimed to be, but there is evidence of his birth and there is evidence of his death. So we can confirm that he is alive or he was alive. So, um, it is said that his election to become a saint was a strange one as one of the seniors of the church had heard one night that, um, a, um, he had heard some mysterious voices that said to elect the first person who was going to walk through the the doors the following morning. Can you guess who that was? That's right, it was Nicholas. So, he quickly became known as the patron saint of children after he allegedly res- resurrected three boys who had been slaughtered during the famine. The most famous story he is known for, however, is how he helped a poor man who wanted to marry off his daughters. The oldest daughter had been too old past the marrying age, probably like, she's probably like 14, and they were like, too old. That was a joke. Uh, But she was too old past the marrying age, and the second daughter had no, while she was marrying age, there was just no one who asked for her hand. So, desperate to help her father, the eldest asked her uh, asked her father to sell her into slavery so that their family could have money, right? Um, the father refuses, and later that night, he prays to God. St. Nicholas then heard his pleas as he passed the, by the man's window, and he dropped a bag of gold coins into the room from said window. So... Over the years, of course, the story evolved, as stories often do, and quickly it was thought that the saint would drop gold coins from the chimney, and the bags would land in the stockings that were put up to dry. Does any of this sound familiar? That's why we have stockings. So, it's pretty cool, pretty fun. Um, Even though Turkey would soon be taken over by the Islamic religion, uh, St. Nicholas is still celebrated to this day, even if they didn't, um, even if they didn't have the same, really the same beliefs. Um, During Saturnalia, which I already mentioned earlier, it was actually very custom, uh, like it was customary to give out gifts, and that was a sign of good harvest and a good upcoming year aka why we have presents. So, in the Netherlands, it is believed that Saint Nick had a horse and would ride along with a boy named Black Pete. Here we go, folks. Of course, racism ruins everything. Black Pete, or Zwarte 
Piet, as it is pronounced in Dutch. I bet I ruin that for anybody who speaks Dutch, because I do know that there's a couple listeners that are from across the pond from America. So for that, I apologize. I won't be saying it again. And unless I quote somebody, um, I will be using Pete because I don't like to refer to him as Black Pete. Like, that just feels wrong. So I won't do it. Um, so, as it is pronounced in Dutch, and was a character created in a children's book in 1850 by John uh, uh, Skankerman. And uh, boy, was he a racist. So, and in an um, All That's Interesting article, uh, Natasha Ish- Ishak, I think is how you say her name, explains that this boy helper was essentially a tamer version of Krampus and other Christmas demons, because of course he was, because the guy who wrote it was racist. Um, quote, although he was not depicted as terrifying or otherworldly like Krampus or Belsnickel, Black Pete was similarly frightful, uh, had a, has a similarly frightful reputa- reputation amongst dunk- Dutch children. When he encounters naughty children, Black Pete is said to put them in his empty bag of toys and kidnap them, end quote. Pete is still being racially profiled to this day as white people dress up in blackface. Uh, I watched it during this documentary. It was truly drawing um they did of course they did all the harmful stereotypes of overlining the lit like big red lips like face was covered in black coloring and it was just awful um resemble it often resembled the black minstrels back in the day and they would parade him around in ridiculous gesture outfits and all the white people were also said like most of the white people who dressed up as him also uh were said to talk in afro-caribbean accents just adding to the stereotypes and just adding to the racism in the netherlands their christmas is actually on december 6th uh the night before uh is where this where the children um would put a shoe in front of the fireplace that would have a list of the things they wanted that year. After they had dinner on December 6th, Pete knocks on the door and leaves them a sack of presents if they had been good. And then the father of the home then dishes out the presents to the children, which I think is interesting. Instead of Santa, um, it's the father who eventually has the ultimate say in what what child gets what. Um... In the U.S., we can trace our version of today's Santa Claus in New York during the early 19th century, aka 1800s. There was a a book entitled The Knickerbocker History of New York, and that just reminds me of the Knickerbocker glory. Like, Harry Harry mentioned it once in book one, and it's like a type of ice cream, and... Every time I hear it, I think of that. So I think it's just ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, it's called The Knickerbocker History of New York by Diedrich uh, Nicobar, or that was his alias. So the original author was known as Washington Irving. Uh, this book was written to talk about the good old days of New York when all the Dutch people were immigrating there and beginning their traditions with them. And then also... Um, among this, he brought up St. Nick, right? So from there, a writer named Clemont Moore, 
he may recognize the name, wrote a poem we all know called The Night Before Christmas, or as he titled it, A Visit from St. Nicholas. And this is where our version of Santa Claus comes from. All right, it was like said that like that in, 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 oh my goodness, in the, uh, like documentary I was watching it was actually really cool because it mentioned like uh a night before Christmas is like the one poem that all like American children just ought to like subconsciously memorize just because of how often it was read to us as children um so yeah that's where our version of Santa Claus comes from but why the red and white where did the uh red and white come from was it really did it really come from a Coca-Cola commercial? Well, kind of. So, according to this video done by PBS Origins, Santa Claus didn't start out with red and white. In fact, he had a variety of different colors, especially in other places in the world. He was known originally for wearing like a light blue, a purple, and the occasional yellow if you wanted. He was also not always the same size. Some people believed him to be tall and skinny. Others believed he was short, shorter in stature and a bit bigger around the middle. Uh, he wasn't even always jolly, right? He uh, like he would wear red robes, but he was also depicted wearing multiple different colors. So, um, the red and white suit uh, didn't really take off until Coca-Cola made an ad of a jolly Santa in a red and white suit that was an inspiration from the poem, The Night Before Christmas, done by an artist. And as far back as the 1920s, reminding them to quote remind people that they can drink coke all year round not just on summery afternoons end quote and now where do candy canes how in the world did candy canes candy canes come about I'll tell you that in a second So candy canes. Leslie Kennedy from History reports that candy canes are the number one non-chocolate candy sold during December. That should surprise no one. But the question is, when did they become a part of the Christmas season and why were they invented in the first place? While the origin of the candy cane is uncertain, it is theorized that the candy cane dates back um, until... Uh, 1670 in, once again, Germany, uh, in order to keep choir boys quiet during church services instead of hitting them and whipping them, right? Yay, no child abuse. So that being said, however, the board of churchgoers had complained that, uh, uh, had complained about the candy as church was supposed to be this solemn place where you prayed and you worshipped God. It wasn't a place for free candy, right? So the, um, Churchmaster decided to mold the sugar sticks into hooks to resemble a shepherd's crook. And, and as adding candy and sweets to trees was common during this time, it would, make it would make sense to make the candy a hook because it was easier to put on trees. So all in all, it was, you know, it was 
better. So that being said, the first candy cane to make its appearance in the U.S. was about 200 years later in 1847, made by a German-Swedish immigrant named August uh, Ingard with decorating his spruce tree. All right, he was just decorating his tree, and people were people were like, "What in the hell?" So, where did the red and white color come from, though? Uh, because most people believe that the original um, candy canes were actually just white. So most people just think that because Santa now had red and white colors, it was a good marketing scheme. But Susan Benjamin, the founder of True, uh, True Treats History, Historic Candy, uh, is quoted as saying in an interview with History that the more religious people, quote, uh, the more religious people theorize, quote, a secret language amongst the Christian faithful, de- uh, depending on the stripe, three represented the Trinity, one represented Jesus' sacrifice, she says, adding, and the more and the more general rule of the stripe is um, of the stripe as the blood of Jesus, end quote. So it was essentially just um more people think it was just like a marketing scheme more religious people may think like oh it's representative of jesus's sacrifice it's a representative of his blood it's representative of the holy trinity and so on so now on to why we kiss under the mistletoe like what where did that come from why did we all collectively decide yes we're gonna kiss under this specific plant i'll tell you that in a second So, why we kiss under the mistletoe? Um, This Christmas tradition just doesn't seem all that logical and straight up silly. Like, is the whole kiss under the mistletoe is the kiss under the mistletoe tradition? Where the world? Where in the world did that come from? Uh, Well, according to an article done by Lily Norton, a writer from Life Science, this tradition has a bit of a weird start. For starters. Um, there are over two different, 200 different types of this plant, and it exists nearly on every continent. Um, and this plant is also par- parasitic. Like, it literally, if not maintained, kills the plant that it lives on. So, um, you know, yeah, we'll totally kiss under that. But many cultures just said, nah, let's ignore that, and proceeded to work the plant into their mythologies. Believing that this plant um, has an effect on infertility and is often often considered an aphrodisiac. Uh, No, it's not. Don't eat the berries, though, unless you want to have a bad night of vomiting and stomach pain. So the exact opposite of an aphrodisiac. So... The Celtic Druids were the first ones to mess around with this sort of plant, uh, believing that the plant healed against illnesses. Not true. There was, a, a, there's been, you know, plenty of research uh, discarding that fact and uh, named it false. It actually makes it worse. Uh, predicted the future, maybe through its toxins, and protected against nightmares. And as such, they would pick the plant during the summer and winter solstices. There is also a Nordic myth involving this plant as well. Frigga, the god of love, had a son named Baldr. Baldr is the son of love and light. 
And during, um, and not wanting her son to ever experience harm, she went around and asked every living thing to promise that um, it wouldn't harm him. She even made non-living things promise, like rocks. Um, But she missed a plant, the mistletoe, who was so small, she refused to believe that it could harm her son. And Loki, the god of trickery and mischief, heard this and had killed Balder with the same plant, either uh, making, I believe it was either a spear or an arrow out of the plant. Um, Sources vary. Uh, So later in Greece, during the Roman reign, uh, is where the tradition of kissing under the plant came from, and was used during marriage ceremonies because of its association with fertility. They would also hold peace meetings under it during war because the mistletoe was a great uh, symbol of peace and prosperity, right? Because it's linked to fertility, it's linked to prosperity, it's linked to peace. So they had peace meetings under it um, during war. In Victorian England, it is believed that if a woman weren't going to give a man a kiss under the mistletoe, then she would be infertile and never get married, (laughs) as word would spread to her other suitors. Um, So basically, it was just like, oh my god, you didn't consent to uh, kissing me? Well, I'm going to tell everyone else that uh, you're infertile and can never give them children, and uh, peace out. Uh, today, obviously, we have a l- much more, like, light-hearted tradition, but there is apparently proper etiquette. Again, according to this article, there's proper etiquette when it comes to kissing under the mistletoe. Um, you need, for every berry there is on the plant, there needs to be one kiss. So, that. And now, the final section of today's podcast, I... I'm going to talk about Christmas cards and how they weren't always cheerful. So, Christmas cards. Before Christmas cards became a thing, uh, the Victorians in the 19th century loved a good morbid one, right? Uh, or cheerful Christmas cards became a thing, I should say. Uh, as Crystal uh, Pon- Ponty from History reports, uh, some involving a murderous blood. Some of them involve a murderous, bloodthirsty snowman and dead birds. So this, they they love a good morbid one. A lot of them posing with dead and with the dead and robbing the graves. So. Were the Victorians okay? The answer is no. They were going through a lot. And instead of properly uh, checking in emotionally, because that wasn't a thing back then, uh, they were like, let's make these really fun and really morbid. So the first mass printing of the Christmas card didn't start until 1870. Louis Prang, again, a German immigrant, is credited as bringing Christmas cards to the U.S. through Boston. Uh, Samantha Brad Bradbeer, archivist and historian over at Hallmark Cards is quoted as saying in an interview with History, quote, by 1885, unique and even bizarre cards with silk fringe, glittered attachments, and mechanical movements were popular. But the more common Christmas card motifs related to flora and fauna, seasonal vignettes, and landscapes. 
end quote. Greetings and Christmas cards weren't, weren't, uh, were originally supposed to be, like, conversation pieces, uh, to the point where they would even, like, scrapbook them, and it wasn't even, you know, marketing comes in and makes the cards that we know now, but I think it's really interesting to note that, like, just to see the difference, because you wouldn't see a Christmas card with a bloody, like, bloodthirsty snowman on it today, like, that's just not a thing anymore, so... Yeah, and with that, that's the end. So, with that, folks, that is the end of today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. Um, I just wanted to say happy holidays i know hanukkah is coming up so happy hanukkah merry christmas and you know any other religion that you celebrate during christmas time while i am not christian i do believe i do like celebrate christmas but i understand that that's not the case for everyone else so happy holidays uh i hope y'all tell your family members that you love them uh give them a big hug um and yeah, I hope y'all enjoy the holidays around this time of year. And um, I might do another episode next Friday, but I will be taking a break um, for the holidays. So I will not be back until probably middle of January. I just need a break. We all need a break. Finals are finally over and I can go home and rest in peace so yeah happy holidays and with that maddie b is signing off